0: And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentile does, Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have crushed the power of sin and of death. We thank you that you have defeated the devil and the principalities and powers of the air by offering your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins to absorb your wrath and then you raised him up from the dead and we thank you that right now at your right hand Jesus reigns and that we reign with him in Christ. And so Father it is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we ask you this evening That you would open up our minds and our hearts and our souls and you would teach us how to pray. And we pray that we would not simply talk about prayer or think about prayer, but that this passage tonight would move us to be a people who bears our souls before you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been a Christian for about 23 years. And one of the things I've learned is that constant prayer, or prayer without ceasing, is a very difficult exercise. Has that been true for you in your Christian walk? It's often difficult. And one reason I think it's difficult is because we don't think we know how to pray. But thankfully, as we just heard our sister read, a text that teaches us how to pray. Before we walk through the Lord's Prayer here in a moment, let me give you briefly the context of the passage. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and following, Jesus instructs us, his disciples, how to live as righteous citizens of the kingdom of God in a way that surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he does this by discussing the righteous acts of prayer, helping the poor, and fasting. Throughout this particular section, he tells us that we should not help the poor pray and fast like the hypocrites, who simply do those things to be seen by people. But rather, we as righteous citizens of the kingdom of God should pray and fast and help the poor with hearts that are devoted to the king, hearts that care more about honoring our Father who is in heaven than receiving the praise and honor of men. So, for example, in chapter 6, verse 5, notice regarding prayer, Jesus says, Do not pray like the hypocrites in verse 5 when you pray. Because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Of course, the point is not that we should not pray publicly. Praise God for the privilege of praying publicly. Amen? Praise God when you see brothers and sisters on the street corners having prayer walks through their communities, throughout the city. The problem is not public prayer. The problem is having a heart that is dead and calloused toward the king, but yet performing religious ritual to be received by people as opposed to honoring God with your prayers. He goes further in his instructions in verse six and he says, not only should we not pray like the hypocrites in verse six or five, but we should rather, verse six, when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in heaven and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the problem is not public prayer. The problem is the posture of our hearts. Is this true for you? When I'm by myself and when I'm talking to Jesus, I am really honest with him in ways that I would not be when I'm talking to people or when I'm praying in front of them. We love to sound very sophisticated quite often, at least I do, when I pray publicly. But when I'm by myself with the Lord, I'm more free and willing to bear my soul before the Lord. Why? Because I know only the Lord hears that prayer, not men who can praise me or you for how sophisticated we sound when we pray. So the point again is is when we pray, yes, praise God for public prayer and corporate prayer and praying in your community groups. Praise God for all of that. But he's urging us to have a heart posture of praying for the ear of God, not for the ear of man. But then he goes a step further before we get into the prayer, down in verse 7. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, and those are likely the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel. But neither should you pray like the Gentiles, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That word Gentile is a derogatory term to talk about those from a Jewish perspective who were not the people of God. We, we are the Gentiles in this room. Those of us who are not Jewish, we are the Gentile from the Jewish perspective, but we're saved now as Gentiles. So we are the people of God by faith in Christ. Amen. Amen. But from a Jewish perspective, Gentiles, generally speaking, they worship false gods. And we have examples of Gentiles offering up manipulative prayers, formulaic prayers, superstitious prayers, to try to manipulate their gods, plural, to do what they wanted them to do. And Jesus says, don't pray like these religious hypocrites who know the theology of prayer, but don't practice what they preach. But on the other hand, don't pray like the pagan Gentiles who don't know God. Because your father, verse 8, knows what you need before you ask him. As a result of that, then Jesus moves into verses 9 through 13, and he gives us a model prayer. Let me say another word here practically before we dive into the passage more carefully. It is helpful and good to read books about prayer. That's a good thing. But I would argue the most important book you should read about prayer is the Bible. And the most important model of how to pray is Jesus. Would you agree with that? And one thing you observe about Jesus is prayer for him is not simply a moment in the morning or a moment at night. It is something he does, it seems to me at least when I read the Gospels, that is a regular rhythm of his Earthly existence. Breathing for or praying for him seems to be like breathing. And what you often find Jesus doing is when he's in the most traumatic moments in his life, you find him turning to prayer. I'll give you a couple example, examples of that before we look at the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 14, or excuse me, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. Mark records these words. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took them with him, Peter and James and John, and he began to be, and listen to these words, greatly distressed and troubled because he knows he's going to die soon. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch and going a little farther. He fell on the ground and he became very very Anxious is that what it says? That's not what it says. All right says he prayed In the traumatic moment of anticipating going to the cross now feel this the perfect son of God who knew no sin is about to go to the cross and absorb the wrath of God for sinners and take upon himself the sin that we deserved. And in that moment, anticipating the cross, we find Jesus Christ praying. And here's what he prays. Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but your will be done. Another example is Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to what Jesus does. Luke tells us that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Did you hear that? Come on, 6 o'clock. I know you're with me. Did you hear that? He prayed all night. How many of y'all prayed all night? I didn't pray all night last night. This is the Son of God praying all night. Oh, I wish I could have heard that prayer meeting. Pleading with God, probably praying for His disciples, praying for His ministry. Give you another example Matthew, or rather Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of Jesus' flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his piety we see some of these loud cries and tears in the gospel of Matthew when Jesus dies on the cross and before he dies he cries out and he says my God my God why have you forsaken me There's a practical word for us. I think we might think we're way too sophisticated to pray like that, to cry out before God in our pain. But Jesus not only gives us a model in terms of telling us how to pray, he shows us how to pray. So let me encourage you. In the most traumatic moments of your life, when you are anxious and fearful, yes, when you're joyful, but when you're anxious and fearful, Throw yourself before the mercy of God and cry out to Him for help. And Jesus teaches us how to do that. And let's walk through the prayer. This is a model prayer, I think, and Jesus tells us in verse nine, he says, "Pray like this. Or in a similar way, it's good to repeat this prayer. If you have memorized this passage, that is great. But I think the basic point is, is that this prayer contains the kinds of things for which we should be praying and helps us see the way in which we should be praying as believers. Notice in verse 9, one thing we ought to do when we pray is acknowledge that God, verse 9, is our Father, He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But He's the God and Father of everyone who knows Jesus. Now, if I can be honest with you tonight, the concept of God as Father does not naturally hit with me well. Because I, maybe as some of you, I don't know my Father. If I saw him on the street today, I wouldn't know who he is. I had an uncle who played the role of a father, but I don't know what it's like to have an earthly father. I don't have an example that is analogous to what Jesus is saying here. But hear this very carefully. Regardless of whether you had a great earthly father or a bad earthly father or no father at all in your life, God is better than the worst and then the best father that you could ever have. You understand that? And for God to be father means that he is your protector. He is your provider. He is your comforter. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now, let's just be real. Those of us who don't, know, who don't have good fathers or who don't know our father, that will affect the ways in which we perceive of God as father. So one of the things we must do on a regular basis is is ask God to help us understand that he is a good father. For me, that means I have to constantly ask God to help me believe that he really loves me. So again, remember you have a father who walks out on you or a father that wasn't there for you. You might equate that father with God. So one thing I need and you need to do is ask God to help us understand what it means for him to be our father and he loves us and will protect us. He's not only our father, verse nine, but he's also our heavenly father in verse nine, our father who is in heaven. When you pray to God, You are praying to God who sits in heaven, ruling over everything in heaven and on the earth. The earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. He is Lord and sovereign and king of all. For him to be our heavenly father means that he is comprehensively sovereign, in control, ruling over everything. He creates and upholds and guides and governs everything in this creation for his glory and for the good of his people. He's not the kind of God who sits in heaven waiting for you to mess up. He's the God who loves you, who cares for you, and who disciplines you when necessary. But He's the God who rules for your good. He's your sovereign Father. So when you find yourselves weak or strong, remember your God, who is your Father, is in heaven. And you should pray to Him. Knowing and believing by faith that he is able, he is able to hear and answer your prayers. But notice also in verse 9, he's our heavenly father. But notice how else Jesus says to pray, that we should pray, hallowed be your name or sanctified be your name. Which I think think simply means, this is Jesus' way of saying that when we pray to God, our heavenly father... We're praying to God, a God who is totally devoted to himself. Do y'all believe that tonight? Do y'all believe that tonight? That God loves his own glory. He is 100% devoted to himself. And therefore, he will always do what is right on behalf of his people. Because his love for his people flows out of his love for himself. His devotion to his people flows out of his devotion to himself. He is wholly devoted to God's will. Amen? He is wholly devoted, set apart above the creation, but he comes down from heaven. Yes, in the incarnation, in the second person of the Trinity, but he also hears our prayers. And he reaches down by the power of the spirit and he answers our prayers and moves in our lives and moves in our church because he loves himself and he therefore loves his people because his people are the creation of himself, created us in his image and then recreated us by the power of the gospel. He's wholly devoted to himself. So when you pray, you're praying to a God in heaven who is your father. Who wants to glorify himself. And consequently, he wants to do good in your life. That's the God you have. Further, notice in verse 10, when we pray, we should pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I read verse 10 to really be synonymous with uh, each other. Verse, the first line of verse 10 And the second line of verse 10, I essentially think is saying the same thing. Explain what I mean. So your kingdom come. I think this is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is complex. It's already here, but it's not yet fully realized. At the very least, the kingdom of heaven means this in the gospel of Matthew, that God reigns comprehensively sovereign over everything in heaven and on the earth, that God rules the entire universe. The universe is God's kingdom, if you will. And he's recreating that universe. We know he's going to do that when Jesus returns at the end of the ages, revelations, and bring a new heavens and a new earth. But when Jesus Christ comes down from heaven, when the king shows up in that manger in Bethlehem, the kingdom of God shows up in part, Right? That's why when Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew, he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the king shows up, the kingdom shows up in part during his earthly ministry. So one of the things that happens is this. When the king shows up, he begins to draft, if you will, a motley crew of disciples to follow him who are willing to give up their lives and devote themselves to King Jesus and the ethics of his kingdom and he preaches about that kingdom and he performs miracles about that kingdom to show that the kingdom has come but then guess what he dies and he resurrects and he leaves but he leaves the Holy Spirit with us And the Holy Spirit indwells every single believer and he empowers every single believer to do what? To push forward the kingdom of heaven on earth through gospel proclamation and through gospel living, right? So when we pray for the kingdom to come, here's what I think we're praying. We're praying for God's will to be done. We're asking God as his people to work out his will in heaven on earth through the people of God as we preach the gospel of the kingdom and live the gospel of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Now you can say that makes sense. Does it make sense? Let me give you an example of what that looks like. That means that we as the people of God should love on earth as his people what he loves in heaven. We should love truth and righteousness and justice. We should pursue everything that God wants us to pursue. We should seek to live as kingdom citizens and push forward the kingdom through the church as the people of God. As we call people to repent and believe and as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Which means practically at least, more than this, but not less than this, we tell people to come to Jesus by faith, and we love them. (laughs) We pray God's kingdom to come, and for his will be done. Which means then, when you pray this prayer, you're not simply asking Jesus to return a second time. Yes, you do that, Revelation chapter 22. Jesus, please come back today. Amen? Amen? Come back now. I'm ready to give up this world. Come back. I don't want to die, but come back. (laughs) Like, come back. But that's not the point of this prayer here. It's that we pray that the citizens of the kingdom would work out the king's will as we seek to live in obedience to him as the people of God. So we should pray To that end, that means we pray for God's will to be done. That means we take every single prayer request we have and we ask God, You do it in accordance with what You want. We pray, God, help us to love our enemies. It's God's will for us to love our enemies, right? God's will is complicated, it's very complex. But God has revealed some things to us. And the revealed things to us are things that we know God wants to accomplish and will accomplish. So what we do as Christians, I think, is we pray for God to do what he has already revealed that he would do. It is God's will for every single believer to walk in obedience to Jesus. So we should pray, Lord Jesus, help us to walk in obedience to Jesus. And then we go walk in obedience to Jesus, right? Now, we don't always know what God's will is, so there are some things that we pray, we ask God to do, but we don't know if that is his will. So maybe God wants you to have that job or not. Maybe he wants you to get married or not. Maybe he wants you to to be healed or not. But what we always do... Is everything we pray, we ask God to work out our requests in accordance with his will. Let me give you a practical example. When I was a teenager, I prayed that God would make me six foot ten. Because I wanted to go to the NBA. And I wasn't a Christian then, but I really believed he would do it. But look at me, I'm not six foot ten. And I certainly don't play in the NBA. And so my point is, it wasn't a prayer, that was offered in accordance with God's will. But a prayer offered in accordance with God's will is praying for God's will that is revealed to be done. Lord, make me more holy, make you more holy, because we know that's what you want. But then also praying, God, I want this, I want that. Please do this, please do that. But if you don't do it, do what your will is. Like my aunt, Lord Jesus, when she was sick, I prayed, heal her, heal her. But he didn't, it wasn't his will. But he saved her. And he brought her to faith in Christ. And so we ask God to work out his will, to bring his kingdom and to work out his will on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer lives, hear this, should be about God. Doing God's will for God's people. Notice further we pray. He says in verse 11... Give us this day our daily bread. We ask God to give us what we need because he is our heavenly father. He's not a God. If you ask him to give you a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a snake, right? He's not that kind of God. He's a God who will answer your prayers in accordance with his will, and he will, if he's willing, meet our needs. So if you're sick... Ask God to heal you and go to the doctor, amen? Go to the doctor. Don't just have a prayer meeting. Have a prayer meeting, but have the community group pray for you as you're driving to the ER. If you need a job, ask God to give it to you. And then do the things that will allow yourself to be in a position to be able to possibly get that job. If you want to see unbelievers saved, ask God, please save this person. He might do it 23 years later, but ask him to do it. Ask God to meet your mental, physical, and spiritual needs. Ask God to meet the mental, physical, and spiritual needs of our church, of our community, of our city. Ask God to meet your needs. You know, one of the things I have to do as a Christian, I'm 41, I'm I'm an old man, getting there quickly at least, And one of the things I have to do as a Christian is regularly ask God to help me fight against and to overcome fear. That song, Why This Fear? I love that song. I listen to that song on a regular basis because I'm anxious a lot. Even like preaching this sermon, like I don't like public speaking, but I kind of have to do it, you know. It would be foolish for me to just stand here tonight and look at you, right? (laughs) Not say anything. But one of the things I do is ask God, help me to overcome fear because that's the need that I have. Are you fearful? Are you anxious about eternal life? Are you tempted to despair when the devil reminds you of your guilt within? Are you tempted to doubt God's love for you when you sin against God? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask God to help you, yes, conquer your sin, and then to leave that sin at the feet of Jesus and to stop walking around, packing around this guilt that he's already cleansed by his blood. That's a real need, isn't it? Ask God to give you what you need daily. And that's God, verse 12, to forgive you of your sins, of your debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. The regular rhythm of our prayers is to confess our sins before God. First John says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned except Jesus Christ. And so a rhythm of our prayer life should be confessing our sins before God. And let me tell you, if you're praying by yourself before God, you're more likely to do that. Where you can plead with God and confess the sins of your heart confessing the things that you know you did wrong and confessing the things you don't know you did wrong, but knowing that you are a sinner and you therefore probably did something that was wrong that you didn't know was wrong and you're asking God, forgive me for all my sins. But you're also being very specific. I've lied today, Jesus. Forgive me and help me to stop. I've been tempted to steal today. Forgive me and and help me to, to not do that. I've been disrespectful or rude today. I've been using my resources in ways that don't honor you, Lord. Forgive me. You you cry out to the Lord and you confess your sins before him, and he will forgive you because he's your heavenly father. Hear this. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation if you confess your sins to Jesus, right? If you are in Christ, to confess your sins before God is a cleansing matter. He cleanses you of your sins, and he purifies your heart, and he empowers you to live in the power of the Spirit and to stay in communion with him. So you should confess your sins before the Lord. And let me tell you this. Again, I've been a Christian for 23 years. God can handle any sin that you confess, He knows you've already committed it anyway, right? So free up your soul by telling him what he already knows you have done and ask him to liberate you from that sin and to help you walk in the power of the Spirit. He also says, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a very powerful verse. This word, evil, could also be understood to refer to the evil one. It could be a reference to the devil. I want you all to hear me carefully on this. There is a real devil, all right? And he goes about to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And there are demons. We don't talk a lot about demons, But there are demons. There are principalities and powers of the air. And according to to Ephesians chapter 2, the devil seems to rule over the demons. And in Matthew chapter 4, the devil himself appears to Jesus and tempts him. And what does Jesus do? He knocks the devil out with the word of God. So one of the things we need to ask God to help us with when we pray is this. We need to ask God, yes, protect me from myself. But ask God to protect us from the devil and his lies. The devil is a liar, a thief, and a murderer. And he would love to destroy Sojourn Midtown and any other church that believes the gospel. He's that dragon in Revelation. It's that serpent who deceived Adam and Eve. And one of the things we've got to realize as Christians, you shouldn't play around with the devil You don't flirt with the devil. You don't compromise with the devil. You don't negotiate with the devil. You flee from him, and you flee to God. You need to recognize tonight that we, Ephesians 6, do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the devil and his forces of evil. And we plead with God. We ask him, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, by the power of the Spirit, help me to flee from the devil. You hit the devil with the gospel. You put on the full armor of God. You ask God to help you not give in to the temptations of the devil. You ask him to help you to walk in the Spirit. One thing you need to do is this. As I said earlier, prayer should not be limited to a time in the morning or a time in the afternoon, but you should pray in the moment of your spiritual battle. So when you find yourself tempted to despair or tempted to sin, you sense the devil is trying to seduce you by his lies. You pray and ask God to deliver you from that. Do you hear me tonight? And you can do that when you're driving down the road. Just don't close your eyes when you pray, all right? You can do that when you're watching TV and there's an image that pops up. Say, Jesus, help me not to give in to looking at that image. You can do that when you're tempted to cheat on your wife or your husband or to engage in premarital sex. You can say, Jesus, by the power of the spirit holy father by the power of the spirit help me not to give in to this temptation because it's not what a child of the kingdom will do amen you need to fight against the devil and his lies the christian life hear this is not only a war but it is a war it's a fight you have to fight for faith faith is a gift But you fight for faith. Faith is a gift from God. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but you have to fight for joy because the devil wants to strip you of it. Now, here's good news. The good news is the devil has already been defeated. You have victory in the cross and the resurrection. You have victory in the power of the Spirit, but you must take up the armor of God and actively go after the devil and fight against him by making it a regular rhythm of your life to ask God in heaven to help you by the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus to protect you from the devil. And finally, let me say a couple words about verses 14 and verse 15. These are some tricky verses here. Where Matthew says, verse 14, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you your father forgive your trespasses. These are two tricky verses. But I think what Matthew is teaching here is, is that those of us who are sons and daughters of the kingdom, we prove that our sins have been forgiven when we ourselves likewise practice forgiveness. So, for example, if you read that parable of the unjust servant, he was forgiven, but didn't forgive and suffered judgment. Jesus is not teaching us, or Matthew here is not teaching us, that we are earning God's forgiveness by forgiving others, but he's reminding us what it means to be sons and daughters of the kingdom. If we have been forgiven by God, if we have been forgiven by God, we are forgiving people of others who trespass against us. And forgiveness at the horizontal level, I think, takes, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. If you cut me, I pray that I can forgive you if you sin against me. But it might not happen all of a sudden, right? It might take me some time to forgive you. But if I'm truly trusting in Jesus, the Spirit will work, and hopefully I will receive that repentance and receive that reconciliation. Yes, there are consequences to our sins. It doesn't mean that the relationship will always be the same when we transgress against each other. And it doesn't mean that we should ever put ourselves in a harmful situation just because we forgive people. You can forgive and pursue justice, amen? You can forgive others who sin against you, and if that transgression is a legal issue, you can forgive them and pursue justice in the court of law. It's a good and right thing to do. But the point I'm making here is, is that forgiveness is a heart posture that we have. And it proves that we have been forgiven by God. So in close, let me give you an application here regarding prayer. I personally need to write things down to do, these, to do things consistently. If I go to the grocery store, there's no hope for me without a grocery list. And even when a grocery list, there's not much hope for me. Prayer is analogous to that for me. I need to write things down. So one of the things, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying you have to keep a prayer journal. I'm not saying this is what Jesus says you to do. What I'm saying, this is what helps me start the process of thinking about prayer being a regular rhythm of my life. So one thing I do is I keep a prayer journal and I write down what things I want to pray for on a regular basis. So, on uh, every day, my goal, I don't always meet my goals, but my goal is every day pray for my family, pray for my job, pray for Sojourn Midtown, particularly the elders and the staff and the members. My goal is to do that every day. I don't always do that, but that's my goal. And then, on Sunday, I, my goal is to pray for Pastor Jamal and his family and the other elders and their families. And then again, to pray for the body of Sojourn Midtown. I don't know all of your names, but I pray for the body collectively. And then also, I want to pray for the Sojourn Collective. On Monday, I have about 14 lost people that I want to pray for. I pray that God would save them. And these are people I know and that I've had some kind of communication with. On Tuesday, my goal is to pray for my neighborhood. On Wednesday, my goal is to pray for the city. On Thursday, I try to pray for our community group because we meet on Thursdays, and I try to pray for Shelby Park because we meet in Shelby Park. And on Friday, I try to pray for the state and the nation. Don't always know what to pray, but I know how. And then on Saturday, I try to pray for the persecuted church. And with that, I try to pray for missionaries who are serving in those places. So again, hear me. I'm not saying you got to do it this way. What I'm saying is, is that a good first step to having a regular, consistent rhythm of prayer is create a plan. And one thing that I do that is helpful is to have something on paper that can guide me as I pray. Now, let me say another word here. doesn't matter if you pray standing up or sitting down. doesn't pray if your eyes are open or closed. Some of my best prayer times in the morning... On the elliptical, pushing, on the elliptical, doing cardio, praying for my community group, on the elliptical. My devotions, I do them on my elliptical. Read my Bible, and I just start talking to Jesus, all right? Maybe for you, you want to sit down. Or for you, maybe you're driving to work. My point here is not you should do it this way or that way. My point is you need to set aside time regularly to pray and be intentional about prayer. And create a plan that will help you be faithful. But then secondly, my point is also that in the moment of your weakness, when you find the devil striving after you, you pray. You follow me? That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean you're praying 24-7. It means you view prayer as a rhythm of your Christian existence. There are days when my prayer life is not as good as it is on others. That's life. And there are also days when all I can do is say this. Jesus, don't let me fall away. Amen. But my point is to you tonight, pray. Second thing I want to say, maybe that's like the fifth thing, but whatever it is. The last thing I want to say is this. Prayer should be a natural part of our existence. You need to pray. Just like you need to talk to people. In order to have a relationship with them, you need to pray to your God in order to have a relationship with him that is flourishing. So, brothers and sisters, I encourage you tonight, may we obey our Lord Jesus Christ, and may we pray just as he taught us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your grace, and we're thankful for the power of the gospel. And we pray, oh God, that you, by your grace, would teach us how to pray. And now help us, Lord, to pray. May we be a people who cast every care before you because you care for us. And we pray, Lord, that a sermon like this would not condemn, but would encourage, would encourage us to pray and to know that the sovereign king of the universe is our father and his Son is our Lord and is our Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. So, Father, teach us and help us to pray without ceasing. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples called the Lord's Supper. The broken bread represents his broken body, and the Wine represents the shed blood for our sins. If you are a Christian tonight who is following Jesus faithfully, you are a saved sinner tonight. This meal is for sinners, amen? It's for saved sinners who are walking with the Lord. You're free to take of the Lord's Supper. But if you're not a Christian tonight, you need to understand the gospel. Don't partake of this meal tonight if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian but you need to give your life to Jesus. Believe by faith that God, Jesus, that God offered Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and that he raised Jesus from the dead for your sins. And if you believe that by faith, he will give you the gift of eternal life and you then will be able to walk with him faithfully as a disciple. But, but don't partake tonight unless you are already following him. Gluten-free and non-alcoholic communion is to my left and to your right. There are There's bread and there's wine and juice up front. And there's things in the back, for elements in the back for those of you who are in the back. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. May the Lord bless us during this time.